Hey, welcome to The Screenwriting Life. I'm Meg LaFove. And I'm Lorianne McKenna. We are professional screenwriters. We've worked together as a team and separately. We've worked on studio and indie films, live action and animation, from my work on Inside Out and Captain Marvel. To my work in Pixar's story department on Up, Brave, and Inside Out. We are here to share our insights on the craft of screenwriting and also the life. How to not only survive the ups and downs, but thrive. We want to help you become the best screenwriter you can be and to reassure you that you are not alone on this journey. Hi, everyone. Uh, So glad you could be here with us today. Uh, We wanted to get back into craft today. So we took some questions from our Facebook group that we're going to be diving into. So we are answering your questions. Yes. So which is a great reminder to join our Facebook group if you haven't yet. Uh, to be a part of the community there. And uh, we answer questions, not just on the show, but in the group as well. So it's uh, a really fun place to be. Yeah, and other pro writers answer questions. It's really fun. And um, So uh, first, let's get to our week and what we call Adventures in Screenwriting. Lorian, how was your week? Well, uh, it was good, productive, but I, <laughs> I will say something that just happened. The end of my week is that... Um, a studio that I'm working with had some t-shirts delivered to my house this morning, which was so nice. And uh, so I wanted to thank the producer. So I texted him, but I didn't spell check my text. And instead I wrote, I got the shits. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) So pro tip, check your texts. Uh, even if it's a text, it's very casual, but like if it's a professional thing, and I didn't even notice it, and he texted back, he, he said, you wrote shit. <laughs> so it was just an oddly worded, very special text exchange. Uh, so anyway, so that's that's the mood I'm in right now. But um, Oh, that's so good. Yeah, so uh, I'm sure that's happened to so many people. I have a friend who whose kid went into her email and changed her name to be Boobs, so <laughs> she wrote a very professional email and then was like, thanks, boobs, in all caps, but didn't know it. So just like do a quick scan. Um, yeah, my kid did that. He changed a, a word in my emails to something like frazzled or something. And so I just, it was great. I once sent Pete Doctor a, a text all about me being frazzled. I remember, actually, I remember that you kept saying, like, how do I fix this? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, it's great because when I get a new, it's weird because it's not there, but then when I get a new computer or a phone or something, or or, or you redo the system, it comes back like a ghost. <laughs> <laughs> it's literally been almost like eight years, and it just like comes back. Um, I don't, I have refused iCloud because I feel like, you know when you like buy a new apartment, or like rent a new apartment or a new place, like you love that it's clean and you can start fresh. But with iCloud, it's like you get a new phone or a new computer, and all of a sudden, it's just like the one you've always had. And you're like, I didn't choose this. So I totally relate to that. Totally, yeah. Yeah, so that wasn't my problem. My problem was just straight up, I got the shits. Thank you. So anyway. Good day. Good day. Yeah, and my day started with you uh, texting me as I lay in bed staring at the ceiling. Are you going to be on this call? And I was like, oh, my God, I totally forgot. I do not think I have uh, recovered from the adrenaline burst 
And you know, here's the thing: I don't have to even put on my clothes. I meaning I don't. I can wear my jammies. She wasn't naked, can, you guys. She was I, I actually dressed. Have, <laughs> I don't have to drive anywhere. Thank God, because I'm already ten minutes late. Oh my God! It was so, fine. It was and then fine. I couldn't find the link to get in. Whatever. So uh, I'm a bit uh, having that adrenaline uh, drop <laughs> now. So um, anyway, so the beginning of the week, I had this big plan where I was going to like check off all the things I have to do that are not writing, you know, like paying bills and going through my taxes and reading all the scripts I agreed to read for some reason. And, you know, just checking all that stuff up because there's something so satisfying about making a checklist and then checking everything off. And I'm, I got very into it and I finished a lot of stuff, which felt very good. And then on Tuesday I started writing. Um, and where I am on the script I'm working on is, you know, I had to, I've talked before about how I sort of write from the inside out. So like scenes and dialogue and discovering character as I write. And then, well, there's no narrative drive. And what does the character want? And what's the plot? So I had to sort of try to find those pieces. And um, and I don't know if it was successful or not, but um, it was a good exercise. Uh, I don't know if I'm quite happy where it landed, but, you know, it was an exercise to do. I don't think that's what you're supposed to do. I don't know if there is a supposed to. Like, maybe yeah. you should come up with the plot before you start writing. There is no but... <laughs> supposed to. No, no, no. But, um, yeah, so I spent I spent some time writing. And um, I've also, uh, for health reasons right now, stopped drinking coffee and wine and uh, eating hot sauce, which are like my three favorite food groups. So um, I'm a little, uh, 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 I don't know what I am, but it's not normal. <laughs> So I'm, I'm doing dry January. It's oh, almost done. Okay. It's almost well, done. I'm days away, people. Days away. I mean, February first, nobody call me or I'll be drunk. No <laughs> Should I just like deliver a bottle of tequila on your porch and then run away? <laughs> no, I'm going to try to go to Valentine's Day. That's what I figured. Oh, okay. Um, anyway, yeah. so my week felt. I'm glad it's raining. It's nice. A nice change. Um, yeah. I. Maybe the no caffeine and wine and hot sauce has actually calmed my anxiety down. I don't know, um, but I feel okay. I'll, I'll, as always, when I get to the end of the week, I feel like I could have done more. I know. Um, Isn't that just the Friday? Yes. The Friday slog is. Yeah. Of, why didn't I get more done? Yeah. Every no matter how much I got done, I, I have this like negative voice. You should have gotten more done. You you know, but. I did what I did, and now I'm going to move on to the weekend and next week. And uh, yeah, so Meg, how was your week? My week was fine. Again, I, like you, I don't ever feel like I got an, enough done. But craft-wise, I was in this place of, you know, the promise of the premise. Meaning, um, my husband has a pitch he's going to take out, and we gave it to a friend, and he. Um, gave notes and said, you know, the pitch just isn't yet fulfilling the promise of the premise, meaning you've got everything else. I get the arcs, I get the characters, I get this, but where's the promise of the premise? Where's those, let's, for for lack of a better way of saying it, where are the trailer moments, right? So that when someone hears the log line, so if you hear about a boy wizard who gets to go to wizarding school, well, we better have a lot of fun scenes in wizarding school, right? And mm -hmm. kids and magic and learning magic, like that's the promise of the premise. Um, and I'm facing that on my own projects as well in terms of I'm at the place where they've been structured and lots of discussions on ARC and, and now where 
I got so involved this week in the promise of the premise, I think, in my head in terms of set pieces and fun and gags or whatever you want to, however you want to uh, frame that, which is super fun, by the way, too, just to let it go, right? And, and just really blue sky, just how crazy and fun could this get and how unique, you know, the promise of the premise can't be stuff we've seen before either, right? Um, but then, of course, you hit the wall of, wait a minute, wait a minute. Is any of this like speaking to her arc <laughs> and 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 the you know you kind of have because it's always this balancing act right like that's super cool and fun trailer moment but what does that say about her about her relationships about uh, just, so I just had to go so I'm constantly trying to balance that back and forth um, and some days like a couple of times today I just went and had fun and didn't worry about it but now I'm, I'm circling back to, okay, wait, wait, wait. You know, even just from like stakes, like can we go have this rompy scene? Because what about the stake, the ticking clock, right? Which is always a super hard balance in any movie, which is you have to have stakes, you have to have some kind of ticking clock, even if it's just internal. And yet you wanna have the fun and games too. So I'm in that spot of trying to keep that all balanced. And you know, does this serve as her arc? is my question and here's the crazy thing like sometimes you can't know until you write it like in outline it's I think that this new crazy set piece will work but until you actually write it sometimes you just don't know so it takes a lot you know it's funny because I came out of producing I came before that I was in advertising before that you know I've I've come out of the business side so in my head I'm always like how many hours does it take to write this many pages well oh. it's not five pages it's like so many pages have been written to get to that great scene that has her arc, it has the character evolutions, it has the main relationship, it has the stakes, it has the antagonist, and yet it really to this to everybody else just looks like a, a you know a trailer moment that's super fun, right? And I find myself going and looking at other trailer moments, right? Because it's like you know it's that moment where you're like, wait, what is it? Like, what even is the promise of the premise? Like, what is that? Like, I you totally forget. And you're like. Oh, well, no, this is a good one. It, it get, gets you inspiring. So I've been doing that, trying to uh, dig in and, and hold those two uh, sides, those two poles of that. Um, and then I was talking to a friend who said, you know, well, it's really about where you put your energy. And this is more kind of the screenwriting life in terms of, you know, we were talking about a, a mutual friend who just is so great at no drama, just so great at holding the middle and saying, well, you know, we're going to let her go off and, you know, that's her re reaction to it, but we don't need to do that. We don't need to. So and he, we were talking about, you know, it's not so much avoiding drama and worry because that can happen, but trying to get a hold of it so you can say, is that where you want to put your energy today? Because instead of putting your energy into that, you could be writing, right? So instead of spending an hour worrying and getting dramatic and projecting forward all the all the insanity of you were 10 minutes late for this meeting and that means they're not going to invite you again or whatever is chomping I could have I, I need to write so I need to like set that aside and put all that energy back down into the writing and I think that's a muscle you have to develop um, you know it's you you only have so much energy in a day like literally you only have so much attention you only have so much focus and yes, certain parts of it have to go to my family and my husband and other things, but what are, what are, where are you putting your attention? Where are you putting your focus and letting 
that might be not just a, a worry or it might be you're putting your focus towards projects that really aren't on your beacon path. Why, so you have to talk about why, think about why are you doing that? It might be giving you something that you need. Hey, maybe it's money, great, good reason to do it. But it's always good to stay focused and stay um, aware. It's, I guess I'm talking about awareness, right? Yeah, it's knowing when it's self-indulgent and when it's processing. Right, like mm -hmm. some things require a little bit of processing, a little, you know, okay, I was late for this meeting, that happened, doesn't seem like to be a big deal because it was not a big deal, I'm here to tell you. <laughs> I found no, plenty to talk about while we waited, <laughs> believe me. <laughs> um, that um, some of it requires some processing to sort of move through it, and then it can tip into self-indulgence, which I'm very familiar with, right? The like crying and like rolling around on index cards and what is story, all those things, like that's not productive it's not just not productive for being for writing and writing pages, but it's not productive for me as a person, right? It's well, me falling into a I, hole. Yeah, and yeah. I find that I do it when I don't know. Like right now, I'm at a place where I just don't know how to do this thing I want to do in the script. I just I don't know how to get everything I want in this very short act, and and I it I just keep moving the pieces around and like thinking about it and then realizing shit we got to think about act two and and because I'm in this place of I don't know I don't and I know the only way to know is to sit and do it over and over and move it and change it and go instead I'm going to like sit here and worry about being late on a phone call because that's easier somehow right yeah. like and it's just mm -hmm. catching yourself there's nothing to do but catch yourself and be like okay that I gave it 10 minutes to do that. Now I'm going to just forget it. And, and you just have to, I just had to, you just have to start writing and, and uh, you know, open a new document or whatever you have to do. So um, that was just something I thought, oh yeah, that's, it's just up again about self-awareness. Um, you know, just a little story about that. When I was in Greece, um, we went to the, the, the most ancient tomb that they found in Greece, which surprisingly has perspective which means we as, as human beings had perspective in our art and then lost it, which I think is so fascinating. Um, but the, the, the phrase across the top of the tomb is know thyself. Interesting. Like that's the, some of our most ancient wisdom is know thyself. And as a writer, you, that is so, so important, both in terms of the process, in terms of your processing, uh, your evolution. You just have to know yourself. So like when you were saying, Lauren, like, I don't know if it's good or bad. Okay, that's part of the, your process and knowing yourself and knowing yourself of taking notes and, you know, that's not my s script. It's a good note, but it's not my script, all that stuff. Right. Um, and but then, go ahead. It's also, I think, you know, this idea that we're doing something as writers and in the creative process badly or wrong. Right, I said that earlier, I'm doing it wrong, right? That there's this tendency to, um, instead of sort of know yourself, know where you are, respect where you are, sort of that honor where you are, that you're on a path, that you're never gonna become right. perfect or, you know, you're just on a path. And so it's sort of knowing where you are without, I'm doing it badly, I'm doing it wrong, because that can also send you into that sort of spiral out where then you start fixating on all the things you're doing wrong instead of how you're learning and challenging yourself. And again, I will try to not think about how, this is my challenge for the week, I think, and for moving forward is I get to Friday and I always feel like I didn't get enough done, but I did because that's what I got done. You know, Yeah. that's so sort of 
that's what I did, you know, for good or for bad, or for all the reasons why that needed to be. Um, yeah, so that's my challenge. And you know, there's the other side of it where sometimes the, the universe will come in and, and say, shine a little bit of a light on your blind spot, right? Like if you're getting the same notes over, from craft, a craft standpoint, if you're getting the same notes over and over and over and you just don't understand why you're getting that note, right? It's too incidental, your second act flat lines or whatever, then to know yourself means, okay, you have a, you either have a, a craft blind spot or a deeper uh, blind spot. Your job is to figure that out, right? That now is the job because you're getting that note over and over. Or it can be bigger than that. Like I was talking to my manager about television and he said something like, um, well, you know, because, God, what did he say? Something like, and it was like a throwaway. It was kind of like, well, because you give it away. And I was like, what? And he was like, I'm like, can we just go back to that? <laughs> I'm sure he was just like, oh, no. And I was like, what do you mean? And he was like, well, you're just so accommodating. You care so much about other people and their notes. that, But to run a show, they want you to be the center and be confident and do yeah. your notes and do your what you want to do and come back and tell them, which I do do. See, there I am getting defensive. I do do that. <laughs> You do. But I literally, I was like, oh, I have to catch this. Like, this is, here's my vulnerable lava blind spot that I, and and I was trained as a producer, of course, to do this, right? To always be accommodating and looking to the studio and their notes, and then you have to deliver. Um, but it's just a little bit different, right? In terms of being the showrunner of a TV show and your vision, right? And defending your vision. Um, so that was such just, a tricky line. Because it's like, my wife is a producer, and I feel like it's even more magnified and unfairly handled around women. Because I feel like when men draw a line in the sand, it's like, wow, they're so ambitious. And like, man, look at their ability to stick to their values. But when women draw lines and stick to their voice, I've seen it happen with Laura, it's like they're difficult. Yeah, they're so, or a bitch or difficult or she's a problem. Yeah. And No, for sure that's true. That's absolutely true. And I'm sure because I'm of a... Uh, I'm not of a younger generation. It's even more magnified for me because, you know, when I was coming up, uh, you, it, it was so extreme. I mean, there was no such word as sexual harassment that didn't even exist as a concept. <laughs> so my brain has been so trained, right? Um, and in some ways, and here's the, you know, this is the thing, this is a craft thing. It is my greatest strength, too. My greatest strength is my inclusion and wanting to make community and wanting us all to have a great time on this show. This is everybody's life, right? Why are we I want, and, and I believe that you can always learn. I believe that executives have amazing insights because they have been through so many shows, right? I believe that they are, and do you want to get your show greenlit, right? They're trying to tell you something that's happening on their side. Um, so I believe in all of that. Right. I was an executive. Right. Um, but on the other side, I <laughs> I'd have forgot. I lost my train of thought. Sorry, guys. Well, I think I think what you're getting at is, um, do you want to be making a show that you don't believe in? Right. When you when you take all the notes and you incorporate them all, then is that still your vision? Right. Sorry. Thank you. You helped me get back to what I was saying, which is, and again, this is part, can you see how it's a blind spot? Like part of me is like, <laughs> cut that out, cut that out of the show. But <laughs> did you see how the blind spot came up and literally fuzzed me out? Because yeah. it, this feels so threatening to some part of me. 
Listen, I grew up with a very strong father who was an authority figure that you did not challenge. So this goes very deep, right? And so what I'm trying to say about craft is I see it as my greatest strength, and yet it's something I have to shift. So it's hitting all mm. my survival b mechanisms, right? That blind spot is like some part of me is screaming, but if you do that, you'll die, right? Um, but for your characters, that can also be true. The thing that they hold as their greatest strength the thing that they hold as a survival mechanism has to shift. It actually mm -hmm. has to change. Does it have to go away? Not necessarily. It has to evolve because it's being used to keep them asleep instead of wake them up. Damn. Right? So this is a great strength. It, it is, but it also is now something that I have to work on to keep evolving so that I can find this other broader, bigger piece of myself right, that used to bow its head to my father, that now I have to stand up and look him in the eye and say, I don't agree, right? Look, I mm -hmm. get so trembly even when I think of that. Listen, guys, he's dead. Like, this lasts. Like, this is now the voice in your head, right? So that's just something to take away for your craft is sometimes your character's greatest strength is the very thing they have to change, what, is the flaw. What's so amazing and about that's what's so cool about it. It's so amazing about hearing you talk about this, Meg, is that I've worked with you now on several different pro projects in several different ways, and you always have stood up and defended your vision and your characters. And, you know, I've seen the struggle too, but like in the room, you are powerful and positive and strongly committed to your vision. You almost said opinionated. No, I did not. I did not. I couldn't figure out what the word was, but it was no, vision. Like you see how my brain is like, oh, that she's saying you're opinionated. Like, it's trying to tamp it down. No, but that's why it's so fun to be in the room with you. Even just the two of us working on something, you're like, no, no, let's look at it this way. Or yes, let's look at it over here. Like, you're you're very focused. And so it's so inspiring to sort of to to be witness to that. So... You know, I know what you're saying is the truth, but then from the outside, you know, we've talked about this a lot, how I see myself and how I am and how you see yourself and how you are, are somehow the opposite, right? Like, it's interesting. Anyway. No, it is. And, you know, and I do have that sense of myself, um, but it is this constant balancing act of how do you hear, especially buyer's notes, for sure, right? Yeah. I mean, when I was the buyer, what I wanted you to come back with was something better than what I just threw out, right, as this possible solution, right? I want you to be the creator. I want you to be like, I heard the note. I actually don't think it's there. I think it's here. And look here, you know, it made it better. So I do know that. It's funny how you can bifurcate inside of yourself. Mm -hmm. Anyway, so um, we'll decide later for cutting all of that out. Um, <laughs> I heard from a friend who listened to the show. She says that's her favorite part of the show, where we're like, let's cut that out. And then it stays in the show because it's so uh, it's so on message of what we're trying to do here, which is to show the messier parts of creation. Yes, I just showed a little bit of my love. Yeah, but so um, it's, yeah, so it's the creative process. Well, I want to say thanks to both of you for opening up and sharing. I think like the beauty of this show is hearing two of really the industry's most celebrated writers talk about their process and like the real bare bones elements of writing. Like personally, it's very meaningful. So I know it is for our audience too. And speaking of our audience, 
I would love to read another review that you guys sent to us on Apple Podcasts. Um, we always say it, but not only do we love our audience um, because you guys are such a warm, empathetic community, but you're also just such good writers. So it's always fun for us to read your reviews on air. And if you haven't, um, hop on Apple Podcasts and write us a little five-star review. It really helps the visibility of our show. And um, it's great for us to get this feedback because it helps us orient ourselves as we're producing segments and planning topics. Um, so this writer comes, this review comes from NC writer. I'm assuming that's North Carolina. Um, who says, binging every episode. Writing is hard. Writing without a community is harder still. Through the screenwriting life, Meg and Lorian create community and it is glorious. Every time they share about the good, the bad, and the ugly of their journeys in screenwriting, I gain a little more perspective on my own. The conversations are candid, vulnerable, hilarious, and pair well with a glass of wine or a cup of coffee. The discussions on craft are a masterclass every week and I'm here for it. Other podcasts discuss the craft of screenwriting, but none are so clearly created with its community of writers at the heart of every episode. I'm so grateful to have found this podcast and its online group. Thanks, Meg, Lorian, and Jeff. And NC Writer, I do apologize because this is a craft episode. So the very thing you love about our show. <laughs> well, look, I already spilled trained. my guts. So, uh, you know. <laughs> You're right. It's we both. can't help um, it. And neither of us are drinking it. wine right now. And Which I don't have be. any coffee either. Although I will say, here's a funny little story. One of our original con 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 concepts, excuse me, words, what is words, uh, was for <laughs> Meg and I to drink wine or tequila or whatever and then do the show. <laughs> Which clearly we don't even Absolutely. need to do that. <laughs> right, we just spill our guts anyway. We we're just like, spill our guts we? anyway. Yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, man. Um, all right, so today we're going to listen to um, your questions on craft um, because we do want to help you also in that area. Um, and craft and, and the life always intersect. So I believe, Jeff, you're going to ask us the question. I am. Um, pressure's on. We'll see how I do. Um, thank you for all the wonderful questions, by the way. Again, it's so much fun to produce this show when we have so many people engaged with us. Um, so let's get into it. This first question we have, um, you know what? I just realized we don't actually have attributions on these, but that's probably safer because some of you wanted to remain, might want to remain anonymous. So we're just, if this is your question, thank you for sharing it. We really appreciate it. It's going to be super helpful for our audience. Okay. The turn needed in every story beat. What, why you need it, what it can be. Further explained, I think there is a lot of confusion as to what constitutes a change that deepens character in a beat or pushes plot. Ideally both, right? Wondering if there are ways you check your scripts for this or think about how these changes need to be consistently integrated into scripts so that you're building momentum and not staying static. Yeah, definitely for features, yes, every scene needs to be dealing with and moving character and plot and which is of course then theme right because below both of those is thematic um and it can be tricky especially in early drafts because you're so in the blue sky stage or in the dreaming stage that you're you're churning things up um i when i worked with jody you know as an actress she's super she was super aware of this of course because as an actress she's looking at each scene and how is she evolving her character how is you know, an actor never wants to repeat what they already did. Do you know what I mean? Like, how is this showing a different side of the character, a depth of the character, an angle? How is she reacting differently? How is that relationship changing? Um, so one thing I did 
as a producer that I also did on Inside Out and other things that I've worked on when I hit this question, like, am I doing that? Like, it can be hard, right? Because the script's so large in your mind. Um, I would do a chart. Um, and this can also speak to if people are telling you that your second acts are flatlining in terms of they feel incidental or repetitive, this will also help. Um, I did a chart where on the one column, I would put the action of the scene. And then in the next column, I'd put where the American, what, what is happening to the main character, right? So, and then you can have a third column of the main relationship, like what's happening to that relationship. So that you can see very, very quickly where it's starting to repeat or you're in act two B of, and you're doing something that she would have done in the beginning of two A, like she just regressed before you want the actual regression at the, towards the end of act two A. Uh, to be sorry so I found sometimes it's the 30,000 foot view you have to take to know am I is each scene really giving me um, both of those things and if you find in your chart oh I'm repeating myself the other great thing that can happen is well that's because you actually haven't even gone deep enough with with this whole thing yet right like it's showing you that you're staying at a certain place or there's a blind spot or a lot of times people don't want to beat up their main character. They don't want to, you know, and I always used to say to my students, you know, you've got this character wrapped in bubble wrap and your job as the writer is to take a stick and beat the crap out of them because that is the only thing that changes a character and their evolution. That What changes a person is conflict, is challenge. Right, so you're oftentimes you're getting that kind of flatlining in character or plot because you're actually too afraid to push the main character really directly into conflict. So the other little uh, exercise you can do is look at the characters around the main character. Sometimes they're actually doing the action that that character should do. You've bifurcated the character into multiple characters. And the last thing I'd say is sometimes if you see that flatlining happening. It's the opposite of not wanting to beat them up or maybe a cousin to it, which is you're not really wanting them to want too much. You know, that seems equally dangerous. Equally dangerous is wanting something badly, right? Because it feels very vulnerable to want something. But in every scene of a movie, actors are going to ask, what is my objective? What do I want in the scene, right? And what's blocking it, stopping it, shifting it? challenging it so you could do that too you could go through and look at your script and if you were that actor or if you were the director talking to that actress who's going to have to play this part what would you say about this scene what is her objective where has she been where is she going um you know i always say actors should take i mean sorry writers should take acting classes because you need to know what an actor is going to do with your material um you know you don't have to enjoy it not every writer wants to be an actor but it'll teach you a lot um, so those are three things I do. And then, the, of course, there's literally just saying, is this the best execution of the scene? Like, it is, it is evolving character and plot, but is it the most fun? Like, we talked about those kind of promise of the premise. Are you really pushing it? Um, and that, to me, is sometimes a later thing that I do. I usually just try to get the pieces down. Um, but you never know when inspiration strikes. So, Lorraine, that would be my response. I love your response. I have something that I think is tangential to it. God, I cannot say words today to the side of it. There's something to the side of it is that um, I'm going 
It sounded right to me, by the way. I don't know how you got it wrong. I'm not going to keep trying to say it. Um, <laughs> something I'm doing in, in a script I'm working on right now is going through it and making sure that everything that's happening is because of a choice my character made, whether it's in that scene or in an earlier scene. Like mm. not some not calling someone back makes them show up later on your front doorstep. So that right. so that it's not things happening to her, but it's things that she caused and that, that it's clear and that it, it sort of disrupts the plan she had. So um, so that it, so that the plot is moving forward with her choices, even if it's three scenes later. And it's really interesting to, to go through that and track that and then say, oh, well, this just happened. There was no reason for it, you know, and then have, and then figuring out, like you said, Meg, the best way to get that story point or that character shift into it that isn't what it is right now because it's not working. Sorry, I'm, I don't know what's happening with my speech patterns. Sorry, I just swallowed <laughs> a lot of spit and almost choked. <sighs> I think we should I mean, another that. word you used, another word you used there that's a really good word is plan. Like uh, sometimes when I was working at uh, teaching or consulting, I, it's a good question to ask, which is at the end of act one, your character, everybody knows has to have a goal, but what's their plan to get the goal? Because that's what you're going to disrupt, right? That's that's the thing you're going to start throwing. You know, the Wizard of Oz. Yeah, we remember um, all the fun, but the Wizard of Oz is the yellow brick road. It's the plan. She's going to follow the yellow brick road to get to the wizard. Is the plan of how I get home. The goal is get home, but how are you doing that? Well, I'm going on the yellow brick road to meet the wizard. Okay, it's a road movie, right? Um, so oftentimes the plan is a good way to help you see a want and start to specify it too. So. And I'm looking at the plan in every scene. Like I'm trying to get right. out the door and this person shows up on my doorstep, right? And, right. Then how, and then how that pushes things forward. So I'm writing a TV script. But um, yeah, so it's just trying to find, making sure that each scene is necessary and that my character is learning something or challenged in some way. Uh, so that whether where she starts the scene and where she ends the scene is different, right? She can't. Well, just, and it's so fun, you know. like that. It so defines character, right? How they respond to that object, to that block. It tells me who they are as a character, right? Um, I'm watching because I that my my husband's teasing me that I'm an old lady, but I'm watching Creatures Great and Small on Yes, of course, Masterpiece Theater. <laughs> And I'm totally, it's like, it's like literally a warm bath. It's just so non-threatening. But, um, you know, you have two same age characters who are confronted with the same problem. And one is very logical and he's very moral and he's very quiet. And the other one is just kind of like, let's have a party. And it's fun to watch them butt heads and also now come together. But, but it's all how they approach life, how they approach that problem is why you like them as characters, right? So really trying to dig into those specifics too of personality, right? Not just character, but per the personality of the person um, and how they face that stuff and how they go after things or avoid things or whatever it is they're doing. Um, so another question. First of all, you can tell your husband that I would consider myself like a somewhat cool millennial <laughs> and all creatures great and small is one of my favorite things on TV right now. 
It is just a big <laughs> hug. It's like putting on a very well-written blanket and just getting cozy with it. And it's a beautiful <laughs> antidote has, to how my hard. My husband called it, this is just like countryside porn. <laughs> and I was like, it so is. Pastoral it porn. It so is. I love Isn't that, that what great, great British baking show is too? 100%. Right? Yeah. It's just, you know, They're cozy. nice companions. Yeah, um, yeah. So never feel any shame for loving all creatures great and small because it's beautiful TV. Um, okay. Now, I'm, I'm going to skip to question three, I think, here, which says, I'd love to hear about your process for sifting through multiple feedback notes to determine what you need to change versus what you can choose to keep. I just received a, a round of notes from multiple readers and would love insight in distinguishing what are individual readers' preferences versus glaring script shortcomings. Thank you for all that you do. Ah, preferences versus shortcomings is a great way to uh, say it because it is that is the trick. What do you think, Lauren? Uh, I think I encounter this every time I get notes on a project, trying to sort yeah. out if it's a personal note, if this is, uh, or if this is a bigger note looking at something. And uh, for me, what helps me is talking them out with somebody, whether or not they're familiar with the, what I'm working on just to sort of hear myself say it out loud and sort of argue with it, that this helps me, right? This made me so mad. Why did this make me mad? Or I love this note, but I don't know how to do it. Here are some ideas. Is really, I'm a verbal processor. So for me, that really helps. And sort of checking in my gut, this makes me mad. Why does this note make me mad to hear it? Is it make me mad because I'm offended because it's something I have to look at? Is it because right. something I fall down on? So it's really about processing that, sitting with it, thinking about it. Maybe there's something personal that's triggering me. Oh, I got to look at that. I think you did that, Meg. You were really pushing on me at one point, like, does she have a mother? I'm like, no, her mom's dead. And you're like, <laughs> of course, or, immediately. or <laughs> the mom's alive. I'm like, no, she's dead. She's dead because it was so clear I didn't want to go there, right? Because right. it would add so many more complications to my character's life, which is exactly what needs to happen, right? We need to beat her right. with a stick. But for me, that's how I process it. And then really getting down to how I feel about it and then what I think about it from there, right? Like, and then sort of trying to apply the note. And sometimes I'll apply the note and it just makes everything messy and gross. And then I'm like, okay, that, that was me trying the note and it just made everything not the show I wanna make. So then right. coming back, cause there's always a earlier version before I messed it up. So that's, that's how I process notes. Usually, you know, fuck you, fuck me. Okay, here we go. <laughs> right, <laughs> for sure. Um, I think there's a later question too about notes in terms of uh, doing it. And I just wanna remind everybody that the most important thing is to find the note under the note. There's no way to know if it's a preference or, or a shortcoming of the script until you really start prioritizing those notes. Like, somebody not liking your character or people just don't like them, that is actually a huge, huge conceptual note. It sounds like, oh, you should just go in and put stuff across the top. It's a huge conceptual note of the character and why we are not emotionally connecting with them. Um, it might be personality, but it's probably deeper. So what I would always do at UCLA with my students is I would have them just call out their notes and I'd write them on the board. And you would, we would end up with a board full of things, everything from I don't like her name to there's no structure, right? Um, and then I would start to say, what's the biggest one? What's the most core, core, down in the engine, biggest note? 
and then from there you'd start to build up okay what's the next one and suddenly you can see that so many of these notes just trail right back to that big note that's down in the engine and some of those preferences most preferences to me are trying to fix that core engine problem so even if it's a preference it's still a good signal to something that you have to think about again you don't have to do that note always always if people are telling you how to fix it that is a separate thing right and you have to their how may not be your how right it may really take you off track try it but um, it's really saying but why are they giving me that how you know change the girl to a dog okay but why why do you need that girl to be a dog instead well because in this person's mind dogs are loyal they never leave blah blah blah, blah whatever right um, and you know you might get biases you really might get biases like I find that if you have a female character who is going to leave a male character in need people get really oddly upset about it right like I had um, a character who was going to leave her husband after I think 20 years of a mental illness and literally the, the executives were like but would she would she really do that I mean like what she, I mean, does she have to do that I don't think she'd do that and you're like I understand that makes you uncomfortable it really makes you uncomfortable that um, a woman your mother your wife your sister would actually pick herself over you and I'm sorry it was mostly coming from males right so sometimes the preferences are are blind biases from the person giving the note too but the only way I could get that and say that to that executive um, was to think through well could she and then really really own no this character right wouldn't do that so you know there's preferences but again that note there's a note always under the note right um, so I would I would really see what are the biggest things that people are dealing with are, are talking to you about and we can talk about um, feature engines and what that is like are they talking about the theme thematic do they just not really know what this is about are they talking about your character and their goals and that it's that arc are they talking about your structure of your plot are they talking about a relationship that there's just no core main relationship to um, experience the story through those are big 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 things you have to go down and and, and that, that to me is a blow up in the best sort of way I know blow up how could that be good but it can be because you've got to go down and and redo it so that to me is the first uh, line of action and the last thing I'll say is the, the only way ultimately to know is try it it's paper it's time just try it just just say okay I, I don't think I like this note but what would happen if I totally cut this character out and then suddenly you're going to be like oh no it's right that's so much better right. or oh no that's totally not my show anymore that's not my script anymore that didn't work so preference or shortcomings can be uh, you, you'll find out by doing it and when you get notes and somebody makes a suggestion about how to fix it and you give it to them again to read they're very rarely going to say I don't see my literal note in here because right. you fixed the note under the note. So I think that can be a fear too. Like this really smart person told me to put the avalanche right here, you know, and then right. they, you think they're gonna read it and be like, where's the avalanche right here? And you figured out a different, smarter way for your story to move forward without the avalanche right there. So, you know. I've literally gotten notes in a certain scene and I fixed something earlier and they think I rewrote that scene. <laughs> 
because right. it, the whole context changed. Right. 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 So I think yeah. quickly too, we talked about if you can get notes from it more than two people, like three or four. Um, if you see a pattern, like a majority of those readers are noting the same thing, that probably means it's something fundamental that's worth definitely exploring where sometimes you'll get notes where two readers disagree. And right. I don't know if you all would agree with this, but I think sometimes that's a good sign because it means your work is generating opinions. And, you know, if you table read or workshop something and sometimes you'll see people actually arguing with each other about a note where one person wants to see one thing and one person is defending it and they want it to stay. And I think like that feels more preferential, whereas recurring notes feel more. Right. Yeah. Did you yeah, say you that, Lorian, people. by the way? No, you didn't. No, she didn't. Okay, good. I just no. panicked that I zoned out and I missed something. <laughs> no, no, no. no okay. Wow, you guys, really we're different. on fire for this episode. I have to say, like, I, I can't know. say words. You know, like, I, it's it's amazing. We're crushing it's amazing. it. Amazing. We're crushing it. <laughs> yeah. Is that what the kids say these days? That's what the, the youth. Crushed it. The yeah. youth, maybe. The youth. <laughs> All right, let's do another question. All right. Um, setups and payoffs. Do you go back and read and edit as you write, or do you just power through? You know, writing, where are you and what stage? If you're in a barf draft, do not go back and rewrite, do not edit, in my opinion. You have to keep going because that is, it's a weird muscle, right? Because if, if you like to noodle, it's going to be a weird muscle. But that's also why you might get some great stuff because whatever part of your brain that shuts you down to noodle is actually probably protecting you from something. And if you don't let it and really just make a commitment uh, to that fire goddess in you and God, uh, and to just pour it out, uh, I think you'll get something really interesting. So no, uh, if I'm doing a barf draft or even rough drafts, I just let it go out. Even an outline sometimes, right? I'm just letting it churn up, right? Well, let's move this here and do that there. And okay, well, what if that? What if she didn't do it at all? Oh my God, well, then what would happen? Like to me, in terms of setup and payoff specifically, um, uh, of course, those have to speak to each other, right? So I, um, I will track those, but I don't in early stages worry about it too much, right? Once they're starting to root and stay in the story as, as strong pieces, uh, then I will of course go through and track it and make sure that the, the payoff has seeded, not just in one place probably, or you have to ask how far, how many minutes has it been since the audience even thought about that setup, right? Was the setup in dialogue? I promise you they didn't get it because people don't listen to dialogue, right? They just don't. That, that setup has to be in behavior. It has to be in bigger, bigger elements of the script than just dialogue, in my opinion. Not always, but generally. Um, so, but of course, once you're into later drafts or you're working with a director, you're gonna do much more editing and, and, and set and, and, and fine work. Um, and like I talked about at the beginning, right now what I'm doing in this first act is how do I get all that stuff in that first act that we need and want? Um, and can we just let it be a little bit long right now? What about you, Lorian? I agree. I mean, I think in the polishing process, you really need to pay attention to if you change something small, how it, how it might affect your payoffs, right? right? Like, oh, wait, I just changed something here that affects some stuff in the back. So... Um, the yeah, ripples. I agree with you on the, the barf draft. I will not finish a barf draft if I noodle. I'll just get stuck in a scene endlessly. So, yeah. yeah, Love it. Yeah, I mean, that's why I always talk about in rewriting in terms of those ripples, 
that's why it's sometimes better to open a new document because you'll get so down into the weeds on each and it's partly what's happening to me is because we're at a turn-in stage and we have to hand it over I can't just you know completely start a new document I have to work within and it's really tricky now to not get lost in all the noodling versus pull back and be like even is this whole section working right where it is how it is when it comes in um, so it's it's a, just a constant uh, shifting around um, next we have uh, the concept of failing up um, so this question says can we discuss the concept of failing up I believe that's maybe what they call it at Pixar how do you come in, invest yourself in a storyline, then discard it? How do you get up off the field and get ready for the next play? What do you do if you think the old way had value? And how do you not get mired up in an old thread? Well, first I should say at Pixar, my experience was it wasn't fail up, it was fail fast, which is a slightly different um, context than I think you're using it here. So we'll also answer your question, but fail fast was all about they want you to be daring. They want you to go out on the boards. They want you to push. Um, so it's about the lava, really, if you think about it in terms of our terminology. It's really about they want you to be trying something so they know you're going to fail. The, just the trick of it is you better fail fast because, you know, you're, you're better to fail fast than be noodling something, right? Uh, and then realizing it doesn't work. Just go ahead out and and, and chunk it out, you know, uh, Andrew Stanton has called it a guitar strum, right, is another beautiful metaphor, like you're strumming at the, uh, and so they want, they know that it's iteration, it's a churning iterative process, and in that iterative process, they expect a lot of failure. So it kind of lets you off the hook, right? I mean, it doesn't, because in your mind, you're always like, oh my God, picture's so amazing, and this, I, have, I haven't lived up, and <laughs> whatever. Um, in terms of actually, um, the other part of your question, which is discarding what you've done. Yeah, it's hard. I mean, it, it is hard to do that. Um, once you're getting paid and you're on deadline, it's even harder because to start jettisoning things that you've got a due date tick-tocking on its way and you sometimes have to just close your eyes to that because you do need to start discarding and churning and knowing, okay, we wrote that barf draft this week, but now we got to throw it away because we got to go to a second barf draft again and again and again. Um, so the way I do it is, go, again, going back to those deeper questions and notes and really looking at the engine and knowing that everything I've written is going to be in there even if I discard it. Because the discarding, the chance to see it, gave me the new information I need. And the truth is, it'll, the great stuff will earn its way back. You know, if you're really attacking the deep, deep notes, the stuff that you loved will find their way back in, but in a new form, in a new place, um, and I also use the old stuff as inspiration because it's just as important to get the notes and go deep as it is to know what you loved, what you loved about the draft, what gave you joy, what people, you know, it's so important when people give you notes that they start with what they liked. That's just as important so that you know when you're on that bead and what, what is getting responses. What, what, and people always so want to jump to what's wrong and they mean it as helpful. But like when we do a, a community read, I always ask people, just start with what you liked. And you know, it really helps to know that as well. Um, and, the, and the last thing I'd say about it is, um, you know, how do you not get mired in the old thread by tossing it out? And I know that that's hard, I know. Yeah. I, would, I agree with the fail fast, I, but I do think you wanna give each thing its due. And what we 
saw at Pixar was you push it to the very end as far as it can go to see if it can work. You know, right. working with story teams, it was, you know, draw it as it's written. And then if you have other ideas, you can go off and do those. And then really sort of pushing things as far as you can go, because there might be something at the end of that, right? It's not just, oh, this didn't work, give up. It's keep trying different ways. And that is, you know, a little bit failing fast, right? Okay, that didn't work. Let's try a different way to solve that and a different way to solve that. And um, and then you're right, Meg, you, you, you know, a lot of things come back, but in a more refined way. Uh, because you pushed all those other possibilities and sort of checked them off the list, right? It just didn't work. Whole yeah, sequences time... would get dumped out of movies that I worked on. Like a whole sequence that we worked for years. And then it was like, oh, this this just needs to go away. But what we learned in that right. sequence was, oh, this is what this moment is about. And it's instead of, you know, seven pages, it's, you know, two pages. Right, and so it. But it was so many iterations of a scene, so many, you know. Because you're literally, as a creator, bringing things up into your conscious mind. So you had to dream that sequence, you had to dream that scene, and it gave you enough that it earned its keep for a couple of drafts. But all of a sudden, because things are shifting around it, because you're getting more and more aware of the story, you go, oh, you know, I, I, I saw things where people were like, you have the wrong main character. That, but all of the work that was done on that first character who was not the main character went into the film in really beautiful, concentrated ways because they so deeply knew him, even though he wasn't the main character. And the relationship was so rich because they so deeply knew him from all of those experimentations. So, you know, you have to be ready at any point for dramatic shifts, right? Because you're just constantly getting to know it in a deeper and deeper way. Uh, uh, getting to know your story in a deeper way. I also think it's a little bit of when you get attached to the old, it's a little bit of doubt that you can never come up with something that good again. Yeah, I used used to want to send people like, here are all the drafts I've done, right? Here are the last three versions. So you can see all, you can see how my, how I got there. And maybe what you're going to tell me is, oh, version three is where you should really go, right? That's doubt. That's me saying, somebody tell me what the best version of this is instead of, Nope, this is the version, right? And being that speaks to you. Yes, and that's a really hard. That took me a long time to get there, where I don't want to be like, well, I used to have a version that had this, and I used to have a version that had this, right? Because that's me not wanting to let go of the old stuff and not knowing how. Um, but so I guess part of it is just having confidence and believing in the version that I have now is the best possible version. Um, and also the old stuff still exists. It's all there in my thousands of drafts. <laughs> you can always go back. Yes, yeah. <laughs> all right, you guys, thanks so much for being here. We'll have other craft episodes with your questions. We only got to five today, so keep sending them in to our Facebook group and um, or the Gmail account. And uh, loved having you. Look forward to next week. Yep, and uh, remember, you're not alone, so keep writing. Thanks for tuning in to The Screenwriting Life. We love our community and we want to get to know you even better. Join our Facebook group at facebook.com slash thescreenwritinglife or email us at thescreenwritinglife at gmail.com to have your question considered for the show. You can also suggest topics by emailing us there. Also, we'd love for you to drop us a review on Apple Podcasts. Even if we don't read your review on air, trust me, we have read it. And not only does it mean the world to us, but it helps other people find the show. 
We've always been driven by mission and mentorship, and reviewing our show helps expand that mission. And of course, until next Sunday, happy writing.